Good morning, Parkview. Anybody get blown away on their way in today? In our new house, our bedroom's up on the second floor, and as many of you know, my wife is gone, has been gone for three weeks now, but uh, my goodness, it's just howling up there. The whole house feels like it's shaking. I thought I was doing another Wizard of Oz thing, you know, but then I told myself that you're no longer in Kansas, so <laughs> calm down. But um, yeah, wow, there's like nothing north of our place across Penn Street except open fields, so I'm sure the wind just has full bore upon us. It's amazing. Well, let's have a word of prayer as we come to the Lord this morning. Since we're talking about prayer, we've been in John 17, the high priestly prayer, for several weeks now, and we're going to wrap that up this morning. Uh, we're going to bring that to a conclusion. So we don't want to neglect prayer when we preach about prayer. So let's pray and ask the Father for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You're amazing, absolutely amazing. Father, there are just so many times in our life where we see you work and we see your power. I think of Gabe Hefner and the great progress that he has made through his injury and through his recovery, and we pray that you continue doing that. I think of the saints that you have gathered here this morning, each facing their own challenges. Some of us are dealing, Father, with uh, illnesses that are just too much for us. Some of us are dealing with family issues. Some of us have uh, people in our family that have walked away from you, and we, we cry out to you almost on a daily basis, saying, God, please turn their hearts. We want to, and we think of our fellowship in heaven together as a family. But then, Father, our church has its challenges. We have so many things before us not the least of which is choosing a new senior pastor. And Father, we lay that out before you. And we ask for your guidance. We ask that you would raise up that man that would come here and would lead us, Father, submissive to you in humbleness and gentleness and kindness, and yet a master expositor of the word, Lord, bold in his faith. We pray for a Daniel, someone that would come in here, Lord, and in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile towards you. We pray, Lord, we beg of you, Lord, that we would see that this man leads us in a way that our community would respond to the gospel, to the call. And Father, for those of us who are young and those of us who are weak and those who have not yet come into their full maturity in Christ, we pray, Lord, for the strength and growth of our, of our Sunday programs of the different ministries that we have going on. And we ask, Lord, that as we open your word as an example of one of these ministries, that we would be sharpened so that we can go to our jobs tomorrow, so that we can uh, interact with people, uh, maybe our neighbors, uh, maybe family members, and we would be bold for you. Help us not, Father, to shrink away from the responsibilities that you give us in your great commission. God, we humble ourselves. And we know that without you, we are nothing. And with you, Father, we can do anything. So, Father, I pray for this small congregation of people, this church, that it would be a church that is submissive to you, is obedient in all ways, and that, Father, we would march 
in lockstep with your saints around the world today, proclaiming your word. We thank you for the promise, Lord, and the hope of the many men and women that are teaching and preaching and doing many amazing things for you, uh, whether that's in Africa or Asia or Europe or America. We pray, Lord, that there would be much fruit from this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, verses 24 through 26 this morning. I'm going to read them. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, that would be great. Uh, I've emphasized before the need, the greatness of bringing your paper Bibles with you. I'm probably the greatest offender of that when I'm not preaching. I tend to rely too much maybe on my iPad and other things because I like to read different sources and so forth. However, uh, as we've talked about, there is nothing quite like the Word of God in paper. It sticks in our hearts. So if nothing else, you can use a pen and mark it up as we walk through it. But I'm going to read this morning from John chapter 17, starting in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, as we read through this today, we're wrapping up that high priestly prayer, that section of scripture that tells us uh, how Jesus prayed. For the last several weeks, if you've been with us, you've, you've been walking through this passage, um, and in it we've discussed many times how Jesus is standing before his men, his disciples, and he's teaching them how to pray. And that's all been great. Uh, but as we are encouraged to pray, one of the things we rarely think about is the mechanics of prayer. How does prayer happen? And Jesus is setting an example, but he's not necessarily walking us through how prayer comes about, how prayer works, and so forth. It's actually, it's a miracle, if I can use that term. Uh, prayer is a miracle because so many things happen within prayer that we can't take for granted, but that in fact uh, are way above our level of understanding. When you think about prayer, you can't help but be impressed with prayer. First of all, let me ask you this morning, what's the greatest place that you have ever seen? What is the thing that most inspires you with awe? Uh, something that, you, some place that you've been, something that you've seen, you know, when I say that to myself, as I was thinking through this, I thought, well, let's see, there is the Capitol Rotunda in D.C. That's pretty amazing. You know, you see it in books and you hear about it all your life, but when you actually get to see it in those frescoes up on the ceiling, the paintings of the founders of this country, it's awe-inspiring. You can stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and look out at that big hole in the earth with all of its many colors. And you think, wow, the power that must have had to take to make this in the first place. You could stand looking at the Pacific Ocean from the Bay Area and see the contrast and weather and waves and tide and beach and trees, huge sequoias, and you think, wow, God, you're an artist. 
Or maybe it's something much simpler. Maybe when you first got to hold your child when they were born and the nurse puts that child in your arms and you look at that miracle of birth and you say, in this child, I see God. There's so many answers to that question. You've come up with your own, I'm sure. But now think of where do I go when I pray? Well, according to the Word of God, and I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand is our prayers go to the Father, to God himself. It takes us into the very throne room of the Father. Descriptions of this throne room are fairly consistent throughout Scripture. We have the picture of the throne, the place, the locality of God. We have the angels coming and going. We have the four living creatures uh, flying about the throne, crying out, if not singing, that God is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The crystal sea expanse before us, before that throne. And what is the response of people whenever they've gotten to see this in a vision, in an actual visitation? Well, it, it ranges. There's great humility, fear. We fall down on our face because we realize we don't belong there. This is God's place. It is so holy. Paul even refuses to give us a description. He says he's captured up into the third heavens, but he doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what he has seen. All we know is that God feels like he could be so uh, proud and so lifted up because of his opportunity to see that, that he must be humbled. So God allows his spirit to afflict him for the rest of his life. It must be indeed something to see that, but yet we are told that our prayers in Hebrews chapter 4 go to the throne of grace. They go to God. It's amazing. So no matter when we see that, and for most of us that will only be when our eyes close on this world, we, our prayers, <clears throat> our prayers wing their way right into that place. Yet, for all that, our prayers, and there must be millions of them coming to the Father day and night. Think about that. All the praises, all the cries of anguish, <clears throat> the tears, the pain that comes into his ears, to his understanding from us. Uh, what would you guess? One billion, two billion prayers a moment are coming to him when half of the world sleeps, the other half of the world is praying, is in, in turmoil. We have such a hard time understanding this, and we don't like to think about it too often because we can't grasp it. And maybe perhaps that's why so many of us are so weak in our prayer lives. We don't really think that prayer works. How, how can it be possible? Who is this God? Right? When my box I had on my desk back in Nebraska when I was in that ministry. Uh, I own gave it to me thinking this might help Dave be more organized. <laughs> Didn't work. But anyway, she had three tiers to it. She goes, Dave, this would be great. This is what I would want on my desk if I was you. I'd have an inbox. You understand that. Everything that needed my attention, memos, notes. This is pre-computers, by the way. Uh, all those kind of things, you know, that goes in the inbox, the outbox, things that I had successfully accomplished and now are ready to be uh, addressed envelopes or stamps or whatever. And then my third box, uh, my girls helped me name this, is the code red 
box, right? Things that I hadn't really paid much attention to, but now uh, needed my immediate attention. And thankfully, there wasn't too often that there was anything in that code red box, but from time to time, there would be. But you've had this experience, right? You've walked into your office after a time of vacation or a time where you've been busy with other unforeseen projects, and you look at your inbox and you think, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with all this today? This is too much. Now, in the computer age, we have, you know, it's made us much more efficient, right? Those computers? Yeah. We have little cubby holes, little electronic, you know, icons of things that were places that we can put those memos. Oh, this goes here, this goes here. We're not really taking care of anything. We're just slotting things, right? And they just disappear from our inbox. And we feel like, wow, I've accomplished something when in fact we really haven't accomplished anything. However, it is a little bit better, a little bit easier to deal with. And we struggle with that as humans. Can you imagine God's inbox? Your prayers coming up there, bearing his attention, addressed to him. I've been with people in the hospital when they're praying over a terminally ill child. Tears of a mom, so, so heartbroken as she watches her little one. Uh, certain death is coming, and they know it. They have no place to turn but to the Father. I've been with those who are in prison, who pray that truth would be discovered, that they would get a break, and even if they are guilty, that somebody would be gracious to them and give them an opportunity for a second chance. I've been with churches that are in the midst of division and anger and conflict, and people stand and make prayers asking for healing and hope all kinds of prayers, coming to the Father, never ending, just wash over him. That's what it would seem like it would have to be. But yet we say, at least in our hearts, we believe in the omniscience and omnipresence of the Father. These cardinal doctrines that have defined Christianity since its inception tells us that the Father is in no way overwhelmed with these prayer requests. He, you, you can look through Scripture, page after page, and say, well, where, where does he tell us to knock it off? Well, quit praying. I can't handle it. <laughs> the, talk to me on Tuesday. Monday is too busy. He doesn't say that, ever. He absorbs it all. In fact, he tells us there's nothing that happens in your life that he doesn't already know. In fact, he says, before you even pray it in Matthew 6, verse 8, that he knows your request. He begs you to pray. God says, I want you to pray. And even though you've prayed the same prayer every day for 20 years, God still wants you to continue in prayer. I've had certain people that I've been praying for for a long time. And I get discouraged because I see no change. And I wonder, what is God doing? And it's so tempting to give up on that prayer. Uh, there's, there's what I call my rogues gallery. I have four guys that used to walk with God uh, that were in at least one case my mentor, somebody that I cared about, who now have decided that they no longer want to be called a Christian. They've turned their backs completely on God and walked away. And yet I pray for them. They've left their family. They left their kids. 
they've taken up in a lifestyle that is not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you have kids like that of your own, grandkids, who are just not walking with God. Oh, they were raised in the church. They know better. And all we can do is pray. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, but with prayer and supplication, make all your requests known to him, to God, and he will take care of us. Jesus stands before his men in this priestly prayer, and he is praying. He's praying for first his relationship with the Father. Secondly, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, he's praying about his 12 disciples, now 11, and he's praying ultimately for us as a church. He knows your relatives. He knows your sons, your daughters here, your friends that have turned away from God. He knows the physical pain you may be in this morning. And even though you feel like he's not listening, he's not hearing, he is hearing. John Calvin tells us in his writings on prayer in the Institutes that God likes us to wrestle with issues with him. There is something spiritually uh, maturing for the Christian when we take the same issues to the Father over and over and over again. It's not that our prayers aren't heard. It's not that God isn't answering them. He may be answering them, but in a way that we aren't looking for. Sometimes I, when I counsel someone, I have to ask, say to them, it seems to me after listening to you that God has answered your prayer. And it's a big no, he isn't going to do what you want him to do. And sometimes it's just a matter of endurance. Let's keep praying. Let's be together in unity on this. So our prayers go to that throne room, to God. He's not overwhelmed by them. He wants them. He can receive them. We look at this section of Scripture and we say, well, Jesus seems to have a very special relationship with the Father. He says, Father, I want you to be in them as I am in you. He loves those pronoun shifts. God, be in your people. Let them know and have that same feeling of belonging that you and I have. See, prayer does that for us. Prayer makes it possible for us to sense the presence of God. Here, here, here's a cool thing. When you become a believer in Christ you get an immediate download, a new app, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, you immediately have the same authority, the same power, the same opportunity to pray as Jesus himself does in this prayer. How does God know all of your requests before you even speak them? Easy, because God is in you. It's hard for us to imagine what it was like before the Holy Spirit was sent, right? In Acts chapter 2, we read that day of Pentecost. The apostles are sitting around. Jesus has already ascended to the Father. And as he promised, he sends the third member of the Trinity. And it says, it's like tongues of fire were on their head, a great rushing wind. The Holy Spirit comes into our life when you and I prayed to receive Jesus as our Savior. And notice the key word there is prayer. When we pray to receive the Lord as our Savior, the Holy Spirit immediately takes residence in us. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He is the creator. But more than that, as a believer in Christ, he is your partner in prayer. We, we use a lot of ways to illustrate this. I, I think the easiest one for me is when I think of my discussions, my conversations with my own. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. We have our own language. Yeah, I can call her on the phone, and I can tell you just by the way she answers it what's going on today. If I'm thinking, hey, this is a great day, or hey, honey, let's go out for dinner today, and she answers the phone like, what? And okay, we're not going out to dinner today, you know. <laughs> Tell me about what's going on, Ion. Tell me what's gotten you down. Something's gotten you down. And we do that for each other. Because we know each other. We have the right of communication with each other. Jesus is saying, Father, let these people, these, that's you and me, the church, know that you're in them, just like you're in me. Because of what I've done, I've created the ability for that to happen. Every time we pray, we go to the throne room of God, to that power. And in his omniscience and omnipresence, he is able to take care, not to mention his omnipotence, of everything that you pray about. Secondly, think about the essence of prayer. How can prayer really happen? As I've already mentioned, there are millions of prayers going out there and God knows them all. But we have to think about the fact that God has abilities. Uh, we can't even imagine God. Uh, he's not a man. He's not a being that we can put flesh on. When we think of that throne room of grace, we shouldn't think of a giant man sitting there on a throne. What we should think about is the fact that God's presence is there. He chooses to put his location there, but he's everywhere. God is a being that cannot be grasped. He spoke the world, the universe into being. He created you. He created me. He governs all things. He has all things in his hands. Calvin again writes, It is very much for our interest to be constantly supplicating him, constantly praying, First, that our heart may always be inflamed with a serious and ardent desire of seeking, loving, and serving him while we accustom ourselves to have recourse to him as a sacred anchor in every necessity. Nothing is beyond God's attention. There's nothing that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing, that is too much for the Father. He has it all right where he wants us. Evil is in this world, no doubt. Christians fail, no doubt. People struggle in their walk with Christ, no doubt. But that doesn't limit God. It doesn't shrink God. We're, we're drawn constantly back to the Psalms. Is God's arm shortened on your behalf? Is there anything you can do to change who God is? I think not. Thirdly, we know that there seem to be some people blessed with an innate ability to pray. Uh, we have people that we know and we think, you know, when something super serious has come up, when I need providential intervention, I'm going to call that person and see if they'll pray for me. 
there's two things going on here that we need to address. One is the belief that somehow your prayers are ineffective. That God has given someone else the gift of praying. It's not really the case. What's happened is that we're coming across another saint who is well-practiced in prayer, who believes in prayer, who is a righteous person in prayer, but there's no reason why we can't be there too. It's not like Jesus is saying here, well, Father, there are certain people here that I really want to bless that should experience my presence in their life, and then there are others who, you know, they're not so great, right? They're the ones sitting in the back, by the way, this morning. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says all of us have this ability to pray. You know, we are told that the prayers of a righteous man in James 5.16 affected much. Well, that's true. It's not because they have some innate ability to be righteous. It's because they've practiced their Christianity and they've taken it seriously so that they are righteous people. They have done their work. And Elijah is the example that James lays out for us, was a man with a nature like ours. That's his first statement. Elijah was a man. He's just like you and me. There's nothing really special about him as far as his creation or his staining, but yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three days and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You say, well, that's a miracle. Wow, I love that story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and so forth. But you know, I think what James is trying to say to us is that you have that ability. I have that ability. I can pray just like that. What we see is practice saints. Now, it is a fact of life that the older you get, the, the more the storms of internal turmoil as far as sin nature can be subdued. You learn to practice and how to just look for those uh, places that you fall into traps in your life and you avoid them, hopefully. And you become that person that other people come to and say, I need prayer. The other thing that's the truth is that many of us who are older have nothing but time to pray. And if we're not availing ourselves of that time in prayer, then something is wrong. Elijah is used as a great example, but he's not an example of somebody who is created in that mode. It's something that we should ascend to, something that we want to be. Oh, scripture also tells us if your faith is great, your, your prayers are going to do much more. He says, in whatever you ask, in Matthew 21, you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Jesus makes that a constant theme in his teaching. Have faith, believe. Well, you know what? You have faith. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, you've given your life to him, you've exercised your faith. This is not some kind of faith like a faith healer or a faith giver where you can come to some person who says, my faith is greater than yours. The faith is in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes down to us is from Jesus Christ. He is the one that had the faith. He is the one who is righteous, and he gives it to us. Notice that in the, the last part of this section. I will make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. All those things that we're reading about this morning and thinking about were true about Christ, 
but now they're true about us if we believe in him. Think about this this morning. You love football, even if you don't. You're at Kinnick Stadium, right? Down the university campus. And when you think of that image in your head, if you've had the privilege of being there, think of what it is that you're seeing. I've got a large stand for people to sit, right? What, what is it, 80,000 people, 70,000 people? I don't know. And then you have a relatively small field where just a select few men who have conditioned themselves, who have practiced, who have trained, are going to play out a game. And unfortunately, because that is our experience, at least in the Western hemisphere of this world, we tend to think of church this way, right? You all are sitting in the spectator seats. You come to watch a game. You watch Devin lead us in music along with Pat. You see Dave up here preaching. Greg is up here leading us in confession. We'll soon do the benediction. And you just like, well, if I could just have the strength today to not fall asleep while Dave is talking, to not, you know, to let my phone go off or whatever else it is, I've had a good day. And that's just not the way it is. Not what we're seeing Jesus say here. <clears throat> what we really want to think about is that there are no spectators in prayer. No one is sitting in the stands. Just do away with that whole image you have of Kinnick. And instead, think of a field that's 5, 10, 15 uh, times larger. And all of us are on that field. All of us are playing. We have a goal. We have a mission that we're trying to accomplish. We want to be prayer warriors. If there are any seats, it's just one row of seats going around that field. And that's for those of us who've gotten beaten up, right? The spiritual life isn't easy. Uh, Satan is our enemy. All the way through Scripture from Cain and Genesis chapter 4, where it said that sin crouches at your door, to the end of the New Testament of 1 Peter chapter 5, where Satan is said to be a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, we get beaten up. And if you're going to be a prayer warrior, you better be ready for that. It's not just an, an effort of the will to pray. It's not just, well, God, you've given me the Holy Spirit and I have the gifts and the ability, I have the righteousness and the faith to pray. As soon as you start praying and you're effective at that prayer, you're in the game. And this time it ain't Minnesota. It's Satan and his demons. And they will come after you. And they're going to make your life hard. Temptation, despair, all kinds of things are going to come at you from places you never thought of it before. And from time to time, we need to take a time out. I was a man, I've been out there praying. I've been out there serving. And I am just worn out. Take a seat. We've got your back. The rest of us who are playing on the Lord's team, we're praying for you. You know, we just had Global Workers Conference last week. And if you were fortunate enough to get to go to any of those sessions, you heard firsthand how tough it is on that mission field. Those missionaries are out there serving God. And some of them have come home and they're beaten up. They've lost friends. They've lost family members. They've lost visas. Satan will use everything at his disposal to stop them from doing their work. And that's where we pray. Man, 
if you've read the survey, you know, that we just took as a church, you can't help but think, oh man, I have got to be better at prayer. So many of our people are hurting. It's been a long season at Parkview, hasn't it? We feel beat up. We feel like we need direction and hope. Well, here's the thing. You're not spectators. It's not your job to sit there and wait for someone to do that for you. Your job is to be in prayer. I've said this before, but I, I just come back to it all the time. I loved going to take my girls to school long after they had their driver's license. I used to fight with them to, for me to take them to the city high school. I saw that as the launch pad for their week. I love Monday mornings. They get in the car and like all teenagers, they're grumpy. You know, I had one girl, two girls. They're putting on makeup, taking my rearview mirror. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And, but half the time they were just asleep. And I would just love to get in the car and just say, no, now this is because I've already been in the word that morning, right? I've already prayed up. I'm excited. And we've talked about as a family that City High is their mission field. They're going into a world of darkness that needs a word from Christ. And when they get in the car, I'm just like, come on, let's go. This is so exciting. You get to go to City High today. Oh, the words they called me. <laughs> Dad, knock it off. No, I won't knock it off. I won't knock it off. Do you see football players when they come out on the field? What are those guys doing on the sidelines, waiting for their turn to play? Standing there like, no, this is no, don't call on me, friends. I don't want anything. No, they're chest thumping. They're knocking helmets. They're just getting themselves fired up. They realize they're going into a battle. And the tougher the game, the more fired up they want to be. Well, folks, we're in a game, and it's tough. And every morning we have to get up and leave aside all that crankiness and tiredness and and, and anger and despair. I'm so mad at people in our church. I'm so mad at our leadership. I'm so mad at our pastor. I'm so mad at the worship. Forget it. You don't have room for that. Jesus is saying, we are unified. We are one in him. That's so right here. Man, chest thump. Get up tomorrow morning. Go find your spouse. Boom, chest thump them, you know. <laughs> Ion's not here. I'll show up at one of your guys' house. We well, can do that, you know. Get with it. But do that after you've been time in prayer. This is our job. We need to be prayer warriors. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning as we close. I'd like you all to stand. And I want you to face the closest wall to you. Turn around if you have to. Turn to the side. And what we're going to do is pray a prayer of protection. And we're going to put Parkview Church and our workers, our missionaries, everybody, people that you may know who go to this church who are struggling, and we're going to put them right in our minds in the middle. They're on our playing field, so to speak. And we're going to pray a prayer of protection. And I want you to do this out loud. You don't have to wait. I'm not going to lead you. You don't repeat after me. I want you to pray. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's whatever Jesus puts on your heart. Pray that God will sustain and protect this church from the attacks of the enemy. That roaring lion is circling us. He's seeking to rob us of our joy and our peace, our grace. He's putting personalities in there. 
personalities that don't always reflect Christ. But it doesn't matter. We're going to pray for us. So just for a couple minutes, I want you to pray out loud, and then I'm going to close this. And I know this is awkward for some of you. You've never done this before, but this is okay. Go ahead and pray out loud now. Father, I just pray for Parkview Church. I thank you for your strength, your grace, and your mercy. I lift up our elders. I lift up our pastors. I lift up our deacons all the people in worship team, and I pray for their protection, Lord. The people who run tech, uh, Father, may they in no way stumble. May they not fall into the traps of temptation, but may they be strong in you. May they take their jobs seriously from you. And Father, may they have unity as we strive as one church to serve one Lord and one spirit. Oh, Father, you are a gracious God. We thank you for this. Father, we thank you for these prayers that are offered up on behalf of your church. Father, may we do this every day. May we be prayer warriors for you. Turn around and sit down, please. Dads, husbands, this is your job. You're the ones named by Scripture to be the protectors of your families, of your marriage. Are you praying for them like that? Do you stand in your house in the morning? You say, well, if I did that, my wife would have me committed. Maybe, but I think your kids are going to think it's amazing. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I never saw an example of that, but my wife did. And one of her greatest memories is of her dad sitting in the living room in the dark early, early in the morning. I knew he used to get up at like 4 a.m. And he would pray for them by name. He would pray a prayer of protection, of mission, of community for the people in his family first but then also for his church I pray for us as a church I know you do too I pray for you guys by name I lift you up almost on a daily basis to our father asking that God would get you through whatever things that you're facing today whatever the Lord has for you Jesus prays this high priestly prayer almost in an eschatological way. It's almost a prophecy. There is the, po the pre-incarnational Jesus who existed with the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the world was created. They had perfect fellowship and community and talking. God created words. Then you have the incarnation where Jesus walks amongst his people. And again, he communicates by words to them, to both the saved and to the lost. And then there's post-incarnational Christ who stands at the right hand of the Father, being our advocate, praying for you. Do you realize that just as we prayed, Jesus is now praying for you? He's praying prayers of protection for us, for our church, for our leadership, for the challenges that we're going to face you really think about that what an amazing thing how can we ever be down i mean all things of life are in his hands but you get up tomorrow and you put on the full armor of god just like a football player puts on a uniform and you chest thump and you just say god i'm ready i'm ready i want to pray and he's going to listen because he's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He wants us to pray. Be people of faith. 
Don't leave it in the hands of the quote-unquote professionals. You be the people of prayer. And if so, our church will see amazing things in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand now as we do our Lord's Prayer, as we do every week. Jesus is teaching his men to pray, which is so amazing. Um, and when we do this, it's not just going through the words or through the motions. It's actually thinking about what it is that we're praying, right? So are we up? Here we go. All right, repeat after me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for it. Let's, let's say that last line again. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Do you believe that part for you? Amen. All right, you can chest thump on that one. All right, take a seat. Hopefully you've got your little communion cup on your way in today as we partake as a family of God in his supper. A reminder to us continuously that we are in his family and that someday is going to come when we don't have to pray like we pray now, when we can talk directly to him. Wouldn't that be exciting? God can handle it. He's that big. So we take first the bread. For I received from the Lord, Paul writes, which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Oh, Holy Father, we have focused on prayer this morning, on being members of your team, of not sitting in the stands, but being on the field, <clears throat> praying prayers of protection, praying prayers of request, interceding for others. And we do this because of the promise we have from you that we can be one with your son, Jesus Christ, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, Father, we pray and we do and we act. Father, forgive us for those times when we lose heart, when we forget our identity in you. And I pray, Lord, that as we enter into that world tomorrow, that we will do so with newfound desire and fire to make a difference for your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.